Lesson 2 of Elements of Conchology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lauren Huff. Elements of Conchology by William Ruschenberger. Lesson 2. Class of Cephalopoda. General form. Respiration. Circulation. Organs of digestion. Cephalic cartilage. Organs of locomotion organs of the senses, nervous system, habits, division into two families. Family of Cephalopoda dibranchiata, octopus vulgaris or pulp, argonaut, calmaris, cuttlefishes. Family of Cephalopoda tetrabranchiata, nautilus, ammonites, belemnites, foraminifera. Class of cephalopods. This class is composed of mollusks which are of fantastical shape, for their head is placed between the trunk and feet, or tentacula, which serve them for locomotion, and when they walk the body is uppermost and the head down, dragging on the ground. Their feet are attached around the mouth to the head, which circumstances obtain for them the name of cephalopods, from the Greek kephali, head, and pous, foot, pronounced cephalopod. The trunk of these animals is covered by the mantle, which is in the form of a sac, sometimes almost spherical, and sometimes more or less elongated. It encloses all the viscera and is open only in front. The head issues from this opening. It is round and generally provided with two round eyes, very analogous in their structure to those of vertebrate animals. The mouth occupies the center. It is armed with two jaws, and around this opening is found a crown of flexible and fleshy appendages, which are termed, indifferently, legs or arms, because they seem to be entitled to either appellation, for they serve both as organs of prehension and locomotion. The cephalopods are essentially aquatic animals, and consequently they breathe by means of branchiae. These organs are always perfectly symmetrical, and are found concealed beneath the mantle in a particular cavity, the parietes of which alternately contract and dilate, and the interior communicates externally by two openings, one in the form of a slit serving for the entrance of the water, and the other prolonged in the shape of a tube or funnel serving for the escape of water and excrement. Each branchia, which is in form of an elongated pyramid, the summit of which is directed forward, is composed of a great number of membranous lamellae or leaves, placed transversely and fixed on each side of a middle stalk. Each one of these leaves is divided into lamellae, which are in turn again subdivided, and it is in their substance that we find the capillary vessels where the venous is changed into arterial blood. The number of branchiae varies, and this difference is characteristic of the two great natural divisions of which this class is composed. In some there is but a single pair, while in others two pairs of branchiae are found. For this reason, the first have been called Cephalopoda dibranchiata, from the Greek dis, two, and bragkos, branchia or gills, two gilled, and the last, Cephalopoda tetrabranchiata, from the Greek tetras, four, and bragkos, branchia, four gilled. The heart is situated between the branchiae on the middle line of the body, and consists only of a single ventricle. The blood reaches it from the branchiae by the branchial veins, the openings of which are furnished with valves, and then penetrates the arteries which arise from this organ. The latter vessels are two or three in number, but one of them is always much larger than the rest, and one of them also has at its base a swelling or bulb, which is more or less muscular, and analogous to that found at the origin of the aorta in batrachians. The great artery to which we generally give the name of aorta is carried forward and distributes its branches to a part of the viscera, the head and legs. The other arteries go to the viscera, and the blood, after having in this way passed through all the organs, returns by the veins and is emptied by them into a great vena cava, situate near the heart. 
the branchial arteries arise from the inferior extremity of this last vessel and in the dibranchial cephalopods present a very remarkable arrangement before penetrating the branchiae each one of them dilates so as to form a great venous sinus which most authors regard as a branchial heart but its parietes do not appear to be really muscular we see therefore that the circulation is here carried on in a manner opposite to that of fishes for the heart is found in the tract followed by the arterial blood while in fishes the venous blood passes through this organ but in other respects there is a great resemblance in the general disposition of the circulatory apparatus of these two classes of animals for in both the blood passes but once through the heart and the whole of it traverses the respiratory apparatus before returning to the different organs on the vena cava and its principal branches we remark a multitude of very singular spongy bodies which when squeezed yield a mucosity and which are attached to the parietes of these vessels these appendages are enclosed in two membranous pouches which perform the functions of a pericardium and at the same time communicate by particular openings within the branchial cavity in this way the water from without laves them in their interior which is hollow communicates by other holes within the interior of the veins so that the blood must enter them we know nothing certain in regard to their uses but it is probable that they are the seat of some secretion and that they serve as a reservoir to contain the superabundant blood of the veins when the circulation is interrupted in the vessels much in the same manner as the spleen seems to do in the superior animals the apparatus of digestion is very complicated the mouth is surrounded by a circular lip and armed with two vertical mandibles which closely resemble the beak of a parrot they are set in motion by powerful muscles a fleshy tongue furnished with papillae and many horny pieces occupies the interior of this cavity and is attached to a particular cartilage salivary glands the number and arrangement of which vary a little surround the pharynx and esophagus and pour into the alimentary canal the product of their secretion the esophagus contracts in general and before terminating in the stomach presents a large dilatation or crop but sometimes this first digestive pouch is wanting commonly the stomach is in the form of an elongated sac its parietes are muscular and its structure reminds us of the gizzard of birds a third cavity succeeds this organ which in dibranchial cephalopods is in the form of a cecum spirally folded while in the tetrabranchial it assumes that of a spherical sac internally lamellated the bile is poured into this cavity by two canals the liver is very voluminous sometimes simple and sometimes divided into two or more lobes its color is reddish yellow and the texture is very soft the intestine which arises very near the cardiac orifice is simple and communicates at a short distance from the pylorus with a glandular pouch which seems to be analogous to the pancreas and after making several curves this tube empties into the branchial cavity at the base of the funnel through which the water escapes that has served the purposes of respiration in dibranchial cephalopods there exists in the neighborhood of the liver another very remarkable secretory organ which produces in abundance a blackish liquid called ink the excretory duct of this gland empties into the intestine near its extremity and when the animal is in danger pours out through the funnel or tube enough of this liquid to darken the water around and thus conceal itself from the sight of its enemies the ink of one of these cephalopods the cuttlefish is employed in painting under the name of sepia and many authors suppose that the indian ink of the chinese is an analogous substance though it appears the material commonly used in the manufacture of indian ink is nothing but very finely powdered charcoal the tetrabranchial cephalopods do not possess anything similar it has already been stated that mollusks have no solid articulated frame within their body similar to the skeleton of vertebrate animals in the cephalopods however we find traces of something analogous for there exists in the head a cartilage which not only protects the brain but enlarges the head in different directions to furnish points of insertion to the principal muscles of the animal the disposition of the organs of locomotion and prehension which are fixed around the mouth varies in these animals 
in the dibranchial cephalopods there is a crown of eight or ten large fleshy tentacula the inferior surface of which is furnished with suckers like cupping glasses by aid of which they fix themselves very strongly to bodies that they embrace in the tetrabranchial cephalopods on the contrary these appendages though very numerous are slender and unprovided with suckers the organs of the senses are most perfect in the dibranchial cephalopods in these mollusks there are two very large eyes of spheroidal form lodged in the lateral parts of the head these organs are composed of a transparent cornea let into the skin and sometimes protected by a fold like an eyelid a crystalline lens a vitreous body a retina a choroid coat a sclerotica etc nearly the same as invertebrate animals in the tetrabranchial cephalopods the eyes are borne on projecting peduncles and consist of a cavity only the black interior of which contains a retina and receives the luminous rays through a circular opening no auditory apparatus has yet been discovered in the first of these two families we find in the cephalic cartilage of the latter two small cavities closed on all sides except at the point through which the nerve penetrates they lodge a membranous vesicle and are filled with a peculiar fluid containing a small stone this as we see is still a more simple arrangement than that of fishes for the whole apparatus is reduced to a vestibule and a nerve only the nervous system of the cephalopods is more complicated than that of other mollusks and the different ganglia grouped around the esophagus have a greater tendency to become confounded in a single mass the medullary collar thus formed is composed of three pairs of ganglia namely the cephalic ganglia the tentacular ganglia and the thoracic ganglia the two first pairs are placed above the esophagus and by joining the first form a double collar around this tube sometimes they are very distinct but at others they are almost entirely confounded the cephalic ganglia give rise laterally to two large nervous cords which from their origin enlarge into ganglia and then furnish the optic nerves from this species of brain nerves also arise which go to the mouth and sometimes form around this opening a new collar furnished with two pairs of small ganglia the tentacular ganglia afford origin to the nerves of the feet or tentacula which before ramifying on these organs also present ganglionic swellings finally the thoracic ganglia sometimes very distinct from the preceding and at others confounded with them furnish many nerves the most important of which are first the two nerves of the viscera which in their course present a pair of ganglia and distribute the branches of the branchiae the heart stomach etc second the nerves of the mantle which in the dibranchial cephalopods also terminate in ganglia from which arise a great many filaments in the tetrabranchial cephalopods the esophageal collar is simply protected by the cephalic cartilage but in the dibranchial cephalopods in which the nervous system acquires its highest degree of development this medullary mass is lodged in a special cavity hollowed in the cartilage through which the esophagus passes the cephalopods are never hermaphrodite as are most others of the mollusca the ovary is always simple and lodged at the bottom of a sac formed by the body of the animal sometimes there is but a single oviduct at others we find two which open at the base of the funnel finally all these animals are oviparous all these mollusks are marine they are very voracious and feed chiefly on crustacea and fishes which they seize by the aid of their supple and vigorous arms and easily devour by means of their sharp mandibles their flesh is eaten this class is divided into two families the family of cephalopoda dibranchiata or acetabulifera that is cupping glass bearers is very numerous in it are placed the pulps cuttlefishes calmaris argonauts etc 
most of these mollusks have no external shell and their naked skin includes a great number of contractile vesicles filled with differently colored fluids which by alternately contracting and expanding produce and cause again to disappear in turn often very brilliant spots but we find in their interior a more or less developed shell situated on the back this shell is largest in the cuttlefishes it is oval and composed for the most part of a great number of transverse calcareous laminae it is very common on the seashore and is generally known under the name of cuttlefish bone in the calmaris it is of a horny consistence and in its form resembles a feather or lamella and in the pulps it is merely represented by two horny stylets lodged in the thickness of the mantle the tentacula of these cephalopods form a single crown around the mouth and bear on their internal face circular cups or suckers the number of which varies from eight to ten in the following family we shall find an entirely different arrangement the pulps octopus are easily recognized by their naked body which is in the form of an oval sac unprovided with fins and their eight very large and nearly equal feet they make use of these last organs to seize their prey as well as to swim and crawl upon the ground and are even formidable to swimmers on account of the force with which they press those bodies they embrace these animals are essentially carnivorous their size is often very great there is one species in the pacific ocean which attains about six feet in length these mollusks are objects of terror to the natives of the polynesian islands who dive to the bottom of the sea for shells but their size and strength are wonderfully exaggerated pliny speaks of a pulp that had arms thirty feet long and a modern author gravely relates the history of one of these gigantic mollusks which attacking a vessel nearly upset it the common pulp sepia octopodia is about two feet long it inhabits the coasts of europe and commonly keeps among rocks it destroys a great many fishes and crustacea the argonauts argonauta are cephalopods very closely allied to the pulp but the pair of feet which is nearest to the back is dilated at the extremity into a broad membrane and the body is always lodged in a very delicate and extremely beautiful shell vulgarly called the paper nautilus it is not certainly known however whether this shell really belongs to the animal that inhabits it or whether it is derived from some other mollusk be this as it may the cephalopod does not adhere to it but uses it as a boat to float on the surface of the water when the sea is calm six of its tentacula are then folded beneath and act as oars and it is pretended that the two others the extremities of which are enlarged and raised up are spread for sails and represented in the figure but we should not infer from their structure that these tentacula are adapted to such a purpose the common species is found in the mediterranean the indian ocean etc it is known to the ancients under the name of nautilus and pompilius the calmaris loligo differ from the preceding in their elongated sac and being provided with two terminal fins by the horny lamina lodged in the back which supplies the place of shell and by their tentacula which are ten in number and not of the same configuration throughout eight of these feet are of moderate size and are armed with little cups their whole length while the two others are very much elongated and have cups only near their extremities the calmarets loligopsis are remarkable for the great length of two of their arms which are filiform and widened at the end only in other respects they differ but little from the calmaris they are found in the mediterranean certain cephalopods which resemble the calmaris very much but have their long arms furnished with hooks form the genus of onychotuthis from the greek onyx in the genitive onukos nail and tuthis a calmari that is a calmari with nails the cuttlefishes sepia have the tentacular appendages arranged like the calmaris but their body which is oval and depressed is furnished with fleshy lateral fins occupying the whole length of the sac and the back is sustained by a large internal shell the structure of which has already been mentioned the species most commonly found in the seas of europe sepia officinalis attains a foot in length or more the cuttlefish bone or shell is used as a dentifrice and is employed in the arts for several purposes as for polishing for forming moulds for silver castings and as a pounce 
the family of cephalopoda tetrabranchiata has for its type the nautilus a very remarkable mollusk the body of which is enclosed in the last chamber of a large shell folded spirally and divided by transverse partitions into several cavities each one of these partitions is pierced by a hole and the canal thus formed which is called the siphon extends to the posterior extremity of the shell it is traversed by a contractile membranous tube posterior to the body of the animal this structure seems designed to facilitate the ascent or descent of the animal in the water by increasing or diminishing the specific gravity of the shell for the siphon communicates with an external reservoir and can empty or distend itself with the water found in it now the chambers which it passes through are filled with air and when this tube becomes inflated it must compress this elastic fluid and increase its density which at the same time augments the specific gravity of the whole shell and must give it a tendency to sink towards the bottom of the water in which it floats the conformation of the animal differs very much from that of the pulps calmaris and other dibranchial cephalopods the head of the nautilus is surrounded by a large fleshy disc which bears some analogy to the foot of the gastropods and probably serves the animal in crawling the tentacula which are inserted near the mouth are not furnished with cups as in the preceding family they are retractile and in considerable number the eyes are pedunculate that is supported on a sort of footstalk or stem there is no organ of hearing nor pouch nor fins and the branchiae are four in number a great number of shells are found in the fossil state which are very analogous in structure to the nautilus and which probably belong to cephalopods of a similar conformation they are the ammonites vulgarly called the horns of ammon in consequence of the resemblance of their volutes or whorls to those of a ram's horn these animals were among the most ancient inhabitants of the earth and lived in every sea their remains abound in the secondary formations and are met with in all parts of the world but they have long since disappeared from the surface of the earth and in those layers which rest upon the chalk not even a trace of them is found consequently their destruction must have occurred at a period long anterior to the creation of nearly all the mammals they vary much in form and still more in size some are not larger than a bean and others more than four feet in diameter more than three hundred species of them are known and they are divided into several genera according to the manner in which the shell is rolled the position of the siphon the form of the partitions etc we give the name of belemnites from the greek belemnon a dart to other fossils which also seem to have belonged to the cephalopods but which in place of being an external shell must have been lodged in the interior of the animal like the bone of the cuttlefish they are conical in form and are chiefly composed of a series of little horns fitting one in another like boxes in a nest traversed by a siphon and terminated anteriorly by a horny plate that forms a sort of chamber in the interior of which we sometimes find the remains of an ink bag similar to the sac which fulfils the same purposes in the naked cephalopods the belemnites are not met with in strata as old as the ammonites but they abound in the middle and upper layers of the secondary formation and cease to exist in the upper layers of the chalk until lately a host of microscopic shells of lenticular form and without apparent opening designated by authors under the names of numulites from the latin numma a piece of money camerines from the latin camera chamber foraminifera from the latin foramen a hole and ferro i bear etc were referred to the order of cephalopods these little bodies abound to such an extent in certain soils that they of themselves exclusively constitute chains of hills and immense banks of building stone but they are also found in european seas and on observing them when alive we are convinced that the animals to which they belong do not resemble either the cephalopods or even the mollusks in anything they are beings of a very peculiar structure and seem more approximate to the polypi end of lesson two recording by lauren huff